1: Interface complete. Please stand
0: by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard shirts and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ.
2: Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And it's, as always, been an interesting week in technology. Now, Microsoft is rolling out an emergency Windows patch to talk about a malware program called the Print Nightmare. (laughs) There is also a ransomware strain out there that has a little section of code that will not install in a computer if there's any Russian language on the computer. That's out. very suspicious. We'll talk about mm-hmm. why that is. Uh, why that is uh, sort of indicates where that malware came from. And GPS is at risk. The signals are very vulnerable to spoofing and jamming. Uh, this week we're going to feature John David McAvee. He, of course, is the uh, creator of McAvee antivirus software. Was. Was. Yeah, was. Yeah, exactly. No he is no more. Mm-hmm. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Tom Schum. Dear Tech Talk. What happens after all the twenty-one million of the bitcoins are mined? Does Bitcoin stop mining? Will there be a continuing demand for the mass vast amounts of energy to support Bitcoin exchanges and their blockchain? Cryptocurrencies, such as when somebody pays for an airplane flight. Tom Shum, well, Tom, that's right. When they're when they're all mined, there won't be any more. When they're when all twenty one are issued, there won't be any more uh, Bitcoin mining. However, that will never actually occur. It is Why? true.
1: How is that possible?
2: It is true that it's capped at twenty one million, but every period every so often they cut the number of bitcoins awarded in half and they keep cutting it in half and half until finally you're not earning very many bitcoins for doing a lot of bit a lot of work it's sort of like if you're running to the goalpost and you get ha- and you go halfway there and then you go halfway there again and then you go halfway there again you will never actually reach the goalpost you know
1: I get the feeling that this whole Bitcoin thing isn't going to end well. That's just my feeling.
2: Well, we'll just have to see how it goes. I mean, well, you know, people people put value in gold, and that's just a rock that you dig out of the ground. So uh, anything which is uh, has <laughs> scarcity to it. So the reason that Bitcoin's going up, it it is scarce because they're 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 mining fewer and fewer bitcoins. See the reason you always have to have some money to be done. If there's no mining, you can't validate the blockchain, and so the whole premise of of, of trading the bitcoins goes away. Can you put a so, bitcoin in your uh, hand? So I, uh, but it is true. It is capped at 21 million. We'll just we're just approaching that. 21 million point, as they say, asymptotically, which means we'll never quite get there. We got an email from Bob in Maryland. Dear Doc Jim and the imponderable Mr. Big Boy. You mean ponderous. Yes, I'm hearing a lot of rumors about containerization and virtual machines, and it appears it might have something to do with the operating system from Microsoft called Windows 11. What's this stuff all about anyway, Doc? Can we have containerization without a special chip? I think there's some kind of containerization going on with Chromebooks and maybe some other products already, isn't there? Oh, by the way, John McAvee would be a good guy for Profile in IT. Huh. All the best, your faithful listener, Bob in Maryland. Well, Bob, John is a great candidate. He's got an interesting story. It's a sad story, but he had an interesting life. So we are going to feature him today. Now. Uh, Windows 11 does have containerization, uh, but it's hardware enforced, Uh, and they also have hardware enforced virtualization. Now, what that means when you containerize something is that you isolate it. You isolate the applications and the processes uh, at the hardware level. So suppose a particular program is infected with malware because it is isolated it cannot infect the operating system. It cannot infect another application. It's just contained within its own hardware container, and uh, and it's v- much more difficult to write malware or that will will damage a computer or take over an entire computer, op- computer operating system. Now, uh, enterprise uh, computers that businesses run have been using this hardware-imposed containerization for years because businesses needed to have high security. Now, if it turns out that that you're at home and uh, and your computer already has these chips, uh, Windows uses them. So all of this hardware containerization is automatically implemented, even in Windows 10. The difference is with Windows 11, they're going to require it. Now, Windows 11 is going to require what they call the Trusted Platform Module, the TPM. Now, uh, that's, um, that's a chip that's either integrated into your motherboard's PC or added separately into the CPU. Its purpose is to protect encryption keys, user credentials, and other sensitive data behind a hardware barrier so that malware and attackers cannot access or tamper with that data. TPMs work by offering hardware-level protection instead of only software-level protection. It can be used to encrypt disks uh, using Windows features like BitLocker or to prevent dictionary attacks against passwords. Now, the TPM 1.2 chips have existed since 2011, but they're typically only used in uh, in business-managed computers. Get this. The TPM chip was released 10 years ago. So this is a typical time frame. If you look at the development technology, about 10 years after it's the chips are released at hardware, you start seeing them show up in the software. It's very typical. Like when Intel released the Intel 386, that was a... Uh, that was a 32-bit operating system, but Microsoft and, that, and they did that around '85 or '86. Microsoft did not implement a 32-bit operating system until Windows 95, almost 10 years later. So that's that's a typical uh, maturation period for technology to be widely deployed. Now the reason, oh. Oh, you had one more. question. It is true. Chromebooks have also sandboxes and containerization and isolation, but it's all done in software. It's not. It's not. It's not a. It's not a hardware enforced container. Now, so that's uh, that. So we can expect uh, to, Windows 11 to be rolling that out. It should give us a higher level of uh, of security. Now, the reason that they're doing this is that the malware uh, folks are using more and more uh, firmware uh, attacks where they're attacking the hardware level itself. And they're attacking the hardware level during boot up. So in order to protect against firmware attacks, Microsoft is going to the next step. And I think this is really an important step because malware and ransomware is becoming the plague of the IT world, and we've got to nip it in the bud. So I do support this, even though it does require some upgrade in some of your computers when you switch to Windows 11. we got an email from Lily. Dear Tech Talk, do I need to install an an antivirus app on my iPhone? One friend says I do, and another friend says I don't. I'd really like to, to know for sure. Because I want to keep my iPhone protected. I just don't want to install another app if I don't need it. Thanks for your help, Lily in Fairfax. Well, the short answer, Lily, is no, you don't need to install an uh, antivirus app on your iPhone. That's because the iOS, that's the iPhone's operating system, forces apps on the device to run in a way that isolates them from the operating system itself. In other words, all the apps are running in a little container a software container in this case that, that isolates them from all the other apps as well as from the operating system. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible for your iPhone to get infected, but but it's very, very unlikely because it is, it is protected uh, because the operating system, the iOS, is written in such a secure fashion. Now, but I've got to warn you, if you ever jailbreak your iPhone to install an unauthorized app, all that goes away. All your built-in protections are gone, and uh, nothing is locking down the device, and your device is vulnerable to malware. So that's why I never recommend that people jailbreak their iOS devices or their Android devices. We got an email from Robert in uh, Dallas, Texas. Dear Tech Talk, we rented out our spare bedroom to a college student a couple of years ago. While we were on vacation, the Wi-Fi router went out. And he didn't want to be without Wi-Fi. So he bought a replacement router, installed it, set it up. When we got back, he gave us the password. And then when he moved out, he said we could keep the router. Now, I, the, it works great. on my, my laptop, my Windows 10 laptop is, is hooked onto it. But my wife got a new computer, and we have to hook it up to the Wi-Fi router. We don't know the password. We forgot it. We didn't write it down. Uh, am I going to have to buy a new router, or is there some way me for for me some way for me to get the, the password from the router itself? Well, uh, Robert, there's no way for you to retrieve the password directly from the router. That's out. It's it's not a possible. That's not possible. <laughs> but you got a couple of really good options here. So uh, you don't you're not going to have to buy a new router. One, you could simply reset the router back to the factory defaults. Then you could reset up your own Wi-Fi and your own password and set up your own security and all of that yourself, which would be okay. And then you'd know exactly what you had. And and you just press the uh, reset button on the uh, on the on the back or the bottom of the router itself. Now. But there's another way. You can actually retrieve the password from your Windows 10 computer, since your current Windows 10 computer, you you can log on to the Wi-Fi. So that means that that computer actually has that password stored in its uh, in its um, in its password cache. So if you want to uh, get that password, um, connect your laptop to your Wi-Fi network, uh, open up the Control Panel, click Network and Internet, click. View network status and tasks. Then you'll see a, uh, the name of the Wi-Fi network. Click on the Wi-Fi network. And then click on Wireless Properties in the window that pops up, Wireless Properties. Then there under that window, under Wireless Properties, there's something called the Security tab. At the top, click on the Security tab. And now you'll see a box that says Network Security Key. Yeah, that's the password. And it's a series of dots. It's hidden from view. So what you want to do, you just uh, click the box that that says show characters to display the password for your Wi-Fi connection. You click that box, and you'll see your Wi-Fi password directly. You can enter that Wi-Fi password into your wife's computer, and you are good to go. We got an email from Alice in Alexandria. Dear Doc and Jim, I've heard that Google has a time travel feature. Where is it? What does it do? I'm fascinated. Alice in Alexandria. Well, they do have a time travel feature in uh, Google Street View, and it's a great way to see. First of all, Google Street uh, Street View is a great way to see the map from a first-person position. Now, you, you can basically, if you click on the Google Street View icon and then click on the street where you want to go, if they have a street view there, you'll actually see the picture of the house or the building you want to see as Google sees it in their Street View. It's kind of fun to scroll around with Street View. Uh, Now, it turns out that frequently you'll have more than one Street View available because they periodically come back and they'll refresh their Street Views about every two or three years. So if you want to view the historical data on Street View, look at the right-hand corner of Google Maps. If... In older street view is available, you'll see a little clock icon up there with the downward arrow. Click on the arrow, and that'll take you to a, uh, to a screen that shows you the street view with a slider at the bottom. And you can slide it back through the years, and, this, and you can look at the street view through the years. And when, if you want to get back to the present day position, just slide it all the way to the right. Now, if you don't see the clock icon in the upper with the drop down arrow in the street view, it means that you, they, they, they'll, it means they've only got one street view available for you to look at. But that's kind of a nice feature. There were people who actually were able to get photographs of loved ones who would passed away in their front yard, looking at the historical view of uh, Street view. So it's probably worth looking at. We got an email from Doug in Baltimore. Dear Tech Talk, I upgraded my Windows 7 computer to Windows 10 shortly after it was released, and uh, and you know I, I really liked Windows 10. And then my hard drive failed, so then I replaced the hard drive with a one terabyte solid state drive. Now I think when I download the uh, when I download the uh, uh, you know the uh, operating system from Microsoft. I think I'm going to need a license key in order to reinstall it and activate and activate Windows on my system. But I don't know the uh, I don't know the license key for it. I I didn't write it down. Uh, where where can I find that license key and uh, how can I do it? Well, Doug, luckily Windows 10 handles the Windows activation process much differently than Windows 7. When you installed Windows 10 on a PC, or on a tablet for that matter, the Windows installation assigned a license that is digitally tied to the specific device. As long as it's the same version of Windows that you had before, Home, Pro, et cetera, you'll be able to download the Windows ISO file. That's the, that's the file that you can just burn onto a CD. from Microsoft, you can reinstall it on the same machine as many times as you want without ever having to put in a license key. They've really made it convenient. So they actually remember your device, and you don't need to tell it that this is an authorized device for Windows. As you can see, Windows 10 provides a much easier and smoother reinstallation process and activation procedures than Windows 7. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at at Stratford.edu and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. This is Tech Talk
1: Radio, heard every Saturday on Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, southwest of Washington on 1077 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University and how you can attend by going to stratford.edu.
2: John David McAvee is a British-American computer programmer, businessman, who is best known as creator of McAvee antivirus software. He was born in the United Kingdom, uh, September 18, 1945, on a U.S. Army base. His dad was an American uh, soldier, and his mom was a a British citizen over there. Now, he had a really uh, a tough childhood because his father was, was abusive to him, and he always wondered if, whether he was going to get in trouble the next day. So uh, he, he, he lived in constant fear during his, uh, during his formative years. He ended up managing to get to college. He went to Roanoke College in Virginia. He got a Bachelor of Science degree in mathematics in 1967 from Roanoke, Uh, I mean, he was later uh, awarded from the same uh, college a uh, doctor of science degree in 2008. Now, after receiving his bachelor's degree, McAvee began working towards a doctorate in mathematics at Northeast Louisiana State College. But he was expelled in 1968 because he had a relationship with an undergraduate student who ultimately became his wife. McAvee was employed as a programmer by NASA's Institute for Space Studies in New York from 1968 to 1970. He worked on the Apollo program. From there, he went on to UNIVAC as a software designer and later to Xerox as an operating system architect. In 1978, he joined Computer Sciences Corporation as a software consultant. He worked in Booz Allen from 1980 to 1982 as, uh, you know, in the uh, software consulting field, too. Now, then the big break for John McAfee occurred in 1986. At that time, he was employed by Lockheed, and he read about a virus that had been created in Pakistan called brain, the brain virus. He read about (laughs) it in the Mercury News. Now, Brain was the creation of uh, Bassett and Amjad Farooq Alvi. It's a pair of programmers from Pakistan. Now, they wrote it to prevent people from pirating their software. These were were two brothers. They wrote a lot of software over there in Pakistan. They, they They lived in Lahore, actually. They were good programmers. And they so they dis- and and they noticed that a lot of the people in lahore were using their software but didn't pay for it they had pirated copies so they decided to write an anti an, a, a, a sort of a uh, a small program that if it detected that it was a bootlegged copy of their program it would actually activate a kill switch so the people could not use use the software. So they they, they wrote this thing specifically to protect their own software. And, um, and it, um, and and it worked fairly well and it was a very clever piece of code, but it, uh, it had one flaw in it that they, uh, that they failed to, uh, note, it would duplicate itself. So it would be located in the boot sector of a floppy disk it would load onto the memory of the computer. If you'd put in another floppy disk, it would copy itself to that floppy disk. So it ended up propagating everywhere. And it just, once it was released in the wild, it just spread around the world. Now, some estimates say that between 1986 and 1989, the brain virus hit more than 100,000 computers. Now, no one had ever made a program that could propagate itself like a virus through computers. These guys were extremely clever, these two, uh, these two Pakistani brothers. And, uh, and they are really great programmers. Now, they were not doing anything that, would, uh, uh, that, that was malicious. They were just trying to protect their own software. So built into the virus software itself was their name, their address, and their phone number. So all over the world people started calling that phone number in Pakistan saying, how can you get rid of this thing? People (laughs) needed to be vaccinated. They needed (laughs) to vaccinate their computer. (laughs) They even said in in the boot sector virus, call us for vaccination. They even used those words. So they were the ones that actually sort of came up with the whole idea of a computer virus and, and, and that sort of thing. Well, McAvee studied the brain program and he's, and he, he was really impressed. He said it's it was a genius idea to write a program such as this that, that could propagate itself. Cause it was entirely new class of software. He was really impressed with it, but so he wrote a program to counter it. He said, okay, I'm going to write a program. That's going to remove brain from the computer. It'll remove it from the boot sector of the floppy drive. So he wrote a little, wrote a little program and then he, uh, then he, um, uh, he, he uploaded it to his electronic bulletin board. Within two weeks, a million people had downloaded that program. It was an immediate hit. People were using it around the world to protect themselves against this virus, brain virus from Pakistan. Now, he, I mean, he didn't think he'd make any money on this deal. And he really? wrote it just to inform people about the danger of malware. Well, he scared people about malware. People were petrified of getting malware on their computers. And all of a sudden, sales of his antivirus software went through the roof. And he was making $5 million a year. I mean, this guy was in the money sort of inadvertently. And he he didn't really write it for money. He wrote it to help the world. But it turned out to be a product that the world wanted. And they wanted it now. So he incorporated uh McAvee antivirus software in Delaware in 1992. They had its initial public offering that year in uh, 1993, McAvee stepped down as a CEO, but he remained with the company as a chief technical officer in 1994, just two years after he started the company, he sold his remaining stake in the company. So he did, he, uh, and he had no further involvement with its operation. So he only was with McAfee Software for a couple of years, and then he just was gone, moved on to other things. Now, after various mergers and ownership changes, finally, Intel acquired McAfee Antivirus Software in to- 2010. Now, but he was off onto doing other things. He made, he made good money back in the time. I mean, he was worth... In around 2009, he was worth, worth around 100 million dollars because of the because of the sale of McAfee software and because of the money he made while he ran McAfee software. So he got into other business ventures. It turned out he really wasn't that great of a businessman. <laughs> he 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 first of all came up with Tribal Voice, which is a he started that company and that was one of the first instant messages program called PowWow. I don't know if you remember back in the day you could. You could surf the web with your friends, and if you go to a web page, all your other friends see the same web page, and you surf together and talk about the web pages. That 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 was that was the that was his first attempt at social media that. with PowWow. I actually used Wow one time. Yeah, but I mean, it's I, I I used it once and I deleted it. I didn't really care for it. <laughs> then he uh, he invested in join in and joined the board of directors of Zone Labs. Now they made firewall software. And that firewall software was purchased by Checkpoint in 2003, so that was really a good investment because Checkpoint really ended up developing a world class of firewalls, and um, and so he was he was in so he was always kind of in the security, cybersecurity space. In August 2009, The Times reported that McAfee's uh, personal fortune by 2009 had declined to $4 million from its peak in 2007, 2008 of a hundred million dollars. That's because of all of his bad investments. Wow. That's bad. That's a big drop off, isn't it? Yeah, from a hundred million to 4 million. Then Maccabee founded future tent central, which was aimed to produce a secure computer network device called D central. Uh, by 2016, this was a, an incubator. I mean, he was trying to make money again, but he wasn't, but you know, in the second part of his career, he really was not successful at making money. In February 2014, he announced another company called Cognizant, which made applications for smartphones that would display uh, the permissions that all the apps on your phone were using. So you could go in and you control what the, what, what permissions they, they had so you could not let them have access to your mic or your camera. I mean, he was sort of ahead of the game on that, tracking permissions. Uh, but that... But that uh, that business really wasn't a big success. In 2016, he was appointed he was appointed chairman and CEO of MGT Capital Investments, a technology holding company. Uh, I guess, given all of his great investment <laughs> history, yeah. they decided to try it again. Uh huh. Now they were planning to uh, rename MGT, call it McAvee, uh, McAvee, uh you know tech holding company because McAvee was a very respected name because everybody knows about McAvee antivirus, but it turned out that Intel owned the trademark for the use of the (laughs) name McAvee, his last name. So he couldn't use McAvee in the, in the name of that company. So they just kept it MGT. Uh, And then what he wanted to do, he, uh, he stepped down, he, 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 you know, he, he he then he worked with MGT for a while, and he moved he moved them more and more into cybersecurity, which was his forte. But then he left as CEO of MGT in 2017, and he wanted to serve as the chief cybersecurity visionary. He didn't want to be involved in the day to day stuff. He liked being the visionary guy, and he wanted to spend all of his time on cryptocurrencies. Okay. Cryptocurrencies uh, mm. it turned out he made some pretty bad choices in crypto too. <laughs> now, McAvee was a, uh, uh a, uh, libertarian, uh, which he believed that, you know, the, you know, government should not have all encompassing power. Uh, the, the individual should have power and rights. He advocated the decriminalization of marijuana cannabis, he wanted to have an end to the war on drugs, because all throughout this whole history, it was laced with drug addiction. So he, yeah. wanted to, he didn't like this whole uh, war on drugs. He wanted to have non-intervention in foreign policy. He didn't like us, our continuing wars. He wanted a free market society, which does not redistribute wealth. He wanted to uphold free trade, and he felt that income taxes were illegal. He, he didn't think the government had the right to, to, to tax him.
1: And, and so enter the end of his life here, right?
2: Yes. Enter the end of his life. He, uh, he, um, uh, he bragged about the fact that he paid no taxes from 2010 to 20, you know, twenty twenty for, for 10 years. He, he was like gleeful that he, that he paid no taxes, but he, he left the, he left the country, but the, the U S government made note of those, of those, uh, boasts and they went after him and they, uh, they convinced Spain to arrest him in October of 2020 uh, for tax evasion. Now, they also filed other charges against him. The SEC filed other charges against him because what McAvee had done and his bodyguard, they promoted a, a particular cryptocurrency and in an in initial coin offering, and they, he went using his name Pumped it, said it was a great deal, and as soon as people bought it and drove up the price, he dumped it. So it was a pump and dump scheme, and the SEC accused him of fraud in this cryptocurrency deal. So they uh, uh, arrested him in Spain, uh, pending extradition to the United States. On the 23rd of June, the Spanish National Court authorized his extradition to face charges in Tennessee. The next day, he committed suicide, hmm. and he is no more. It's a sad case. It is. The guy was highly talented, but he had demons. I he wonder- had demons with uh, drug addiction, which actually created chaos in his life and probably was responsible for the loss of $100 million down to $4 million. And he went in and out of drug addiction, alcohol addiction, but he was a talented individual. And uh, it's really um, uh, sort of a sad, uh, sad story. Yeah. And he he ended up hating antivirus software. He 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 wrote he he did a YouTube video video telling people how to uninstall McAfee antivirus <laughs> software. He didn't he didn't like it at all. That's something. And and he also was kind of a free spirit. He ran for president twice <laughs> uh, on Somehow some uh, on, on libertarian, a libertarian. so. Yeah. Um, uh, he was he, he dabbled in politics, but he was an unhappy man who was highly talented. So there you go. All you need to know about about John David McAfee, the uh, creator of McAfee antivirus.
1: I wonder why it took so long to extradite him. Was it uh, was it COVID? Do you think that had something to do with it? Probably.
2: Uh, well, I I don't know. I I. Um... I don't know why it took so long. I mean, countries really many times they they don't they don't like to to you know to extradite people like that. I mean, even mm-hmm. in Britain it's sometimes it's hard to get that through. yeah uh, so I think in the country they decide are these charges valid, and do they want to do it? Right. so yeah, it just took a while to 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 have it wind through the courts there in uh, Spain. Gotcha,
1: all right, hope you're paying attention because uh, coming up is your chance to win free lunch. When you play this, uh, the pop quiz here on Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, southwest of D.C., 1077 FM HD 2 in Loudoun County a on 104.5 FM.
0: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
4: Featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Shirts. Oh yes, thank you, thank
2: you. I just love the applause. But, after... but
1: you hopped right in this morning, you didn't let it sink in. Uh,
2: I know, I just, I got so excited when I heard those, that exuberance. <laughs> Now, this is simply not a, uh, a radio show. It's a classroom of the airways, and we assess whether our class has been learning with a pop quiz. Mm-hmm. And if they, if somebody gets the correct answer, pop quiz will get an A-plus for today's show, plus a couple of tickets to fine dining when we open them up after the whole pandemic deal. Earlier in the show, I talked about John David McAvee. He, of course, is best known as creator of McAvee antivirus software. Well, what... A particular program motivated him to write the antivirus software. Now, this particular program was written in by a couple of brothers in Pakistan. What was the name of that program?
4: If you know the answer to today's question, now's your chance to show us just how smart you are. Pick up your phone, give us a call. Dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. If you're standing on the dock of the bay east of Playa del Sur, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're evading U.S. prosecution in Canada, call us on the wildcard line. It's anonymous, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. It's sanitized hourly using McAfee antivirus protection. 8779 3639 Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz.
2: Yes, let's talk about this El Salvador beach town that's riding the crypto wave. The beach town is El Zonte in El Salvador's Pacific coast. It's a place where they've got laid-back surfers. They've, they've got white <laughs> beaches, palm trees, a population of 3,000. It's a low-income community. They have no banks and only one cash machine. But they have a trailblazing local economy based on Bitcoin, if you can imagine. The town boasts a Bitcoin teller machine. The country's only one, the only one in El Salvador, where people can deposit U.S. dollars, El Salvador's official currency, into a personal Bitcoin wallet. They can then use a smart app to pay bills, buy groceries, or have their hair cut with Bitcoin, making direct online transfer to the vendor. El Zonte set a trend that culminated in El Salvador's parliament approving a bill to allow Bitcoin to be used to pay for goods and services. It became the first country to approve digital currency as legal tender, but the move sparked concern from the International Monetary Fund. Two years ago, an anonymous Bitcoin donor started project dubbed Bitcoin Beach to bank the unbanked of El Zonte because they had no, no bank down there. And uh, thousands of millions of Satoshi, the smallest unit of Bitcoin, have been issued through paid youth work programs Educational stipends, transfers to the elderly and poor, community construction projects according to the Bitcoin Beach website. So they're using Bitcoin distributions to basically help with social programs down in this beach. Hundreds of businesses and individuals in El Zante now use Bitcoin. People use it, smartphones to pay apps and buy groceries. And it actually will be an interesting experiment in the use of cyber currencies.
1: Gotcha. Doc, we do not have a winner yet. Why don't you ask the question one more time, please?
2: Earlier in the show, we talked about uh, McAvee, John David McAvee. He, of course, is the uh, creator of McAvee Antivirus Software. Uh, He he actually wrote the first antivirus program to combat a particular program that had a name uh, that I want you to know. It was written by two brothers in Pakistan. What is the name of the virus program that he— was the route to uh, eradicate in the beginning. All
1: right. The number to call is
4: 877-936-9333. All
1: right. We're going to take a break here, and we'll be back with more Tech Talk in just a minute. This is Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, southwest of D.C., 1077 FM HD 2, uh, and you can also hear us in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. dot
3: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
1: Observations from the bunker. You know, this time of year you could leave the door open.
0: I'm not I I
2: I don't even wear a mask anymore in the bunker. I'm just, uh, I'm maskless. I started thinking about the evolution of Silicon Valley and how it has changed from the very beginning. If you remember, Silicon Valley started out as an innovative hardware location. That's why it's called Silicon Valley. The integrated circuit was invented there. Hewlett-Packard made devices, They made all sorts of uh, electronic devices. They made computers, all hardware-based. Apple uh, created innovative hardware. It was all based on the chip, all based on innovation. Everything was hardware. And back in the day, they said hardware would change the world. But then things began to change, and they no longer... Emphasized hardware. It was more software and the new Phrase for Silicon Valley became that software would eat the world Now the problem is that what we have now is all the latest and most successful companies in Silicon Valley are Basically social media or search companies and they make money by selling your private data they don't make new innovative devices anymore they just collect your data and sell it it's a completely different business model and i think if silicon and i think silicon valley in the end is going to lose the edge because if that's what they're focused on how you can violate people's privacy to make money on it but not really looking to get innovative new technology i don't think they're going to be sustainable now we still have some Innovators like Elon Musk, he's creating SpaceX, he created Tesla, he's actually making stuff, he's making hardware to change the world. Uh, He's in the mold of the original Silicon Valley. And many people say he's a lot like Steve Jobs in that he was focused on, on achieving solutions through both hardware and software. We also have another problem in the US. We've, we've changed our immigration policy, so we don't allow immigrants to come here and get a PhD and stay very easily. If you look at all the top companies that were started in Silicon Valley, probably 80% of them were started by immigrants from India, for instance. And uh, now, instead of asking them to stay and build their careers here, we're sending them back home. So now there's a <laughs> there's a Silicon Valley in India. And India is now creating their own companies over there. I think if we're not careful, we're going to lose this special startup ecosystem that we have at Silicon Valley, and uh, it's very hard to ever get that edge back again.
1: Okay, so, Doc, we still do not have a winner. So, why don't you ask the question one more time and? Okay. We'll uh, John
2: McAfee wrote uh, a, a program, an antivirus program, to combat a particular virus that had been written by these two Pakistani brothers. What was the name of that virus? And
1: it is a one-word answer. And let me ask yes. a question for the remedial class, and that okay. would be, which space program did McAfee work at while at NASA? So either one of those would work. Okay. Uh, and the number Very to good. call is...
4: 877 936 9, That's
1: 877 936 9, Continue on, Doc.
2: Okay, let's talk about Microsoft rolling out an emergency Windows patch. There's a new vulnerability in Windows 10 called the print nightmare. It was revealed early in July 2021. Microsoft is already rolling out emergency security updates to fix the problem. You should update your Windows machine as soon as you can. According to researchers Matthew Hickey and Will Dorman, the fix that Microsoft is rolling out for print nightmare is not a complete solution. It only fixes the remote code execution part of the vulnerability. That means exploits can still bypass the patch and do some bad things. We still urge you to update Windows and be ready for any new updates that are going to come shortly from Microsoft. The vulnerability is a critical flaw in the Windows Print Spooler service. It's similar to another vulnerability that was patched in June of 2021. The worst thing about Print Nightmare is that its exploit has been shared publicly, making it easier for hackers to employ. Windows runs the Print Spooler service by default, which means that it's basically running on every Windows PC going all the way back to Windows 7. Microsoft has issued patches for certain builds of Windows 10, Windows Server 2019, Windows Server 2012, Windows Server 2008, Windows 8.1, it's a Windows 7, Windows 8.1. The security updates started rolling out July 6, 2021, and Microsoft urges everybody to patch immediately. Let's talk about ransomware coming from Russia. Now there's a computer code. That, there's a massive uh, ransomware attack going on now worldwide, and it's engineered by a Russian-speaking hacking re- ring called R Evil. R Evil. I guess it's Russian evil. I I guess I, works for me. Yeah, it, and it's but it, they wrote it. They wrote the malware so it avoids any computer system that uses the Russian language. The ransomware avoids all systems that have default languages from what is the USSR region of the world. That includes Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, Tajikistan, Armenia, uh, Azerbaijan, Georgia, uh, a whole lot of them, uh, Turkmen, a lot of countries that actually use primarily Russian. In May, cybersecurity expert Brian Krebs noted that ransomware by DarkSide, the Russian-based group that attacked the Colonial Pipeline in May, was hard-coded to not install in any Russian country. In general, criminal ransomware groups are allowed to operate with the impunity inside Russia and other Soviet states as long as they focus their attacks on the United States and the West. The mere installation, oh, he did note that the mere installation of the Russian language virtual keyboard on a computer running Windows will cause them all where to bypass your machine. So it might make sense to install the Russian keyboard. You don't have to use it, but at least it would keep them from, from scanning you.
1: Interesting. Very good. Let's talk about right, Hang about, on. You know what, Doc? We've got somebody who'd like to play the quiz. Let's okay. go to line one. And uh, this is Gail, who was calling us from Chantilly. Good morning, Gail. How are you? I'm fine. Good morning. Good. How are you listening to us this morning, on the radio or on the web? On the radio. On the radio. Which frequency do you listen to? Oh, gosh. I, um, oh, I can't tell it you. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I was just curious. I like to know these things. Anyway, Doc, go ahead and ask the question.
2: So early in the show, we talked about John David McAvee, of course, creator of McAvee Software. What is the name of the program that he wrote his first uh, antivirus software to uh, deal with?
1: It's called brains. That is, that is correct. correct. Excellent. Thank you, Gail. Thanks for listening, and thanks for calling, and we will send that prize right out to you. Doc, you have an option here. We can either continue on, or we can take a break. What do you want to do?
2: Let's just take a break. And okay. We'll...
1: All right. We will take a break. This is Tech Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, southwest of D.C., Uh, You can hear us on 107.7 FM HD 2 and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu.
0: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
3: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Let's talk about GPS. Yeah. Now, global positioning system, that's what we use for navigation. It pinpoints exactly where we are within just a a foot or so. Uh, but it is susceptible to jamming and spoofing. Now, the signals used that are used by aircraft, ships, farm tractors, smartphones. Those signals all originate from satellites 1,200 miles out in space. By the time those signals reach space, they're weak and can easily be overwhelmed. In the U.S., GPS has about $1 billion a day uh, in economic impact. It's also, vital to, uh, it's also vital to Washington, D.C. that spends about $1.8 billion a year to keep GPS up and running. The U.S. Space Force manages the satellites and the ground stations to track them. The GPS constellation consists of 31 satellites located in medium Earth orbit. Those satellites carry atomic clocks and onboard uh, radios. Like when I fly my drone, I typically lock onto about 11 or 12 satellites. Hmm. And I have to lock onto more than 10 satellites before the drone will take off. And all satellites are vulnerable to threats in orbit over which they have a little control. There could be anti-satellite weapons up there. There could be space debris that would, uh, that would create a, another kind of problem for them. But down on Earth, there's even a bigger problem, jamming where you broadcast a signal which is stronger than the GPS, or spoofing, where you put in a signal that looks like a GPS, but it gives the wrong information. For instance, when I was in Israel, uh, the, uh, the airport there in Israel had GPS spoofing because there was Russian equipment uh, in the Palestine area, and they were sending GPS spoof signals to the airport, to confuse the airplanes. Hmm. So the airplanes could not use GPS to land because of spoofing. Oh, that's pretty Russians dangerous. are experts on this GPS spoofing deal. So the, the, the challenge is we're so dependent on GPS, but it is somewhat, you know, tenuous and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Russians have jammed or spoofed GPS signals in Scandinavia, Ukraine, and Syria. That's Syria is the one I was talking about. North Korea is targeted them in south korea and then there were those flight disruptions in the u.s which may ironically have resulted from the u.s military's efforts to figure out how to deal with it so gps is vulnerable and we have to figure out how to do it i think we're going to have to have some kind of encryption some kind of backup gps system in order to handle it and they really don't have a solution for that as
1: yet and i imagine it could really mess up autonomous vehicles on the ground couldn't it
2: it could definitely do that. Yeah. Definitely, it could do that. So, the uh, it's courts. A, we got to go, Doc. It's t- time's up. Oh, we've got it. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at Talk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Go, check us out on the web, www.stratford.edu, and tell them you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio.